0: Chance. welcome to the no chance radio show a podcast about the world of streetwear fashion and everything and anything else welcome to the show welcome all listeners new and old to the no chance radio show aka the no chance podcast the npr of streetwear i'm ryan one half of this duo and alongside me today and a guest that's always welcome on this show. Melanie, say what's up, Melanie. Say what's up what's to the people. Up, y'all? It's been a while. I'm back. I know, right? How many, <laughs> how many episodes has it been? Maybe like a handful or so. Yeah. Welcome to season two. You're yes. on the second episode of season Woo. two. Uh, thank you guys for listening to today's episode. If you're new to this show and didn't already know, you know, how we run things on this show, we are kind of like your, I want to say like the spark notes or the dummies guide mm-hmm. to the world of streetwear and fashion, uh, where we kind of take, you know, Relevant topics, tabloid articles and your fa- from your favorite blogs, and we kind of give you our little two cents on them. Um, I mean, this is just a disclaimer. We are not the end-all, be-all, <laughs> but use what we say to start the conversation to, you know, I mean, if you talk to yourself in the mirror, talk to yourself in the mirror and about what you're hearing on this podcast <laughs> today or start a conversation with other people around you that are, you know, somewhat interested in the same shit. I mean, that's literally how this podcast started. Yeah. So on that note, you want to get into our conversation for the day?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Actually, how have you been? <laughs> I always like to ask that. I mean, I asked that to Nate on the beginning of episode, on every episode. Uh, he's obviously not on this one today, but I like to check in with people. It's like kind of like, um, like a therapy session for the oh most no. part. That's what I treat it as because for me at least, and here goes Ryan making it about himself <laughs> again. I Go like, on. I just like, Talking, I think that that's my favorite way of like learning shit, especially if it's like an idea that I have or uh, something that's just like really top of mind. I feel like talking usually helps me elaborate more on what it is that I want. But mm-hmm. how have you been? How have things been? You got a job. You've been buying frivolous shit with <laughs> your money. Um, supreme water guns <laughs> and shit. <I> <laughs> right when you get a job, you decide to act up. But how, how has everything been?
1: Everything's been good, you know, I'm back on my bullshit
0: oh God. in a good way, you <laughs> okay, know. Okay, that's good. I'm
1: back, I'm out here, you know, I got a new job, so it's cool. I'm not struggling as much. Um, it's funny, I was just talking to someone about it yesterday. Like, I like being overly busy, so me not having a job for the last three months sucked. So I think I'm kind of like overcompensating by just doing so much <laughs> shit overly, right now. Uh,
0: being busy is good. Don't get me twisted. Yeah. Being busy is, you know, for some people, not all people, it's a it's a way to escape the madness. Sometimes mm-hmm. people like to dive into being busy because, I mean, there are negative aspects of that and there are positive aspects of that. Yeah. People just like being busy for the sake of chasing after their goals or their dreams, but also people like being busy to escape reality, <laughs> you know? Sometimes yeah. taking on too many things can mean that you're... Uh, I mean, if we want to get really deep on this podcast, essentially running away from something, (laughs) you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. I think for us, we're very like-minded in regards to how we operate. And we're always like on the move, on the go. Mm -hmm. And we're pretty much caught up to speed with whatever it is that we have to be doing. Um, Oftentimes, it's not our real jobs work. (laughs) (laughs) It's usually our lives and our hobbies. But busy is good. I think busy is really important.
1: I'd rather be busy than not doing anything. So I'm pretty grateful where I am right now.
0: Well, not a lot of people. I mean, if you guys didn't already know the whole, the past, I would say a couple months that you were on the podcast, you were unemployed. Yes, I <laughs> and was. And I feel like we all, each one of us, the members of this podcast have all been unemployed recording at one point or another. And mm-hmm. we have to like essentially cherish those moments of being like free to do whatever we want somewhat pressed on the money side but for the most part we don't get this break often in life especially as we grow older mm-hmm. so i mean i guess the, the 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 major point of that is that um you know breaks are good sometimes but being good mm-hmm. at being busy is also nice so yeah depending on what type of person you are just you know. know
1: how to balance it i guess
0: yeah especially once you beca- once you start to become busy when you start to make your whole life like just your job or that <laughs> hobby you tend to lose sight of like the lazy part of life, which is sometimes the most rewarding yeah. part. Or sometimes the most fun parts, you know what I mean?
1: It's what we miss, but it's okay. I know. We do I it know. for you guys. We
0: grinding, man. We trying to get these episodes out. We got a lot yeah. of things coming down the pipeline. And first and foremost, before I get into the conversation for today, we do have some major events, some some really um, some huge accolades I would say <laughs> for us that I think are really yeah. important and it's always been a dream of mine. I mean, in the, in the starting of this podcast to provide information, to have a conversation that could essentially, you know, snowball effect into what we're doing now, which is like creative consulting, which I think is something that I think we're really good at because not mm-hmm. only are we on top of our shit, but we have really good ideas and we kind of know what people need or what people want um, in order to be, in order to be memorable, in order to be cool. And so if you're listening to this on a Friday, next Friday we have our monthly event, our fucking man, this party it, it goes undefined. I don't know <laughs> how to, every time is a different, uh, every, every party is a different party. Um, so you'll never catch it being the same thing, but uh, fourth Friday of the month bar Fluxus in downtown San Francisco. So if you are based out in this area, please come out, please come support. It's gonna be your last one for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Because we have some larger events coming up, so we'd like to focus on that. Stay tuned. Exactly, and just sort of get back on our podcast stuff. You know, this little season two means that we got to take it a little bit more seriously (laughs) um, because we started off with like pedal to the metal when we first started the podcast. So we'd like to continue that shit. And also, if you've been following us on Instagram for a while, um, I've been advertising our newest interview series called uh, Listen Up. um, Our first episode of that drops Friday the day that you're listening to this podcast so once you get finished with this shit you should go check out our Instagram TV it's with the Fly Girls Club a really dope organization based out of San Francisco with our homegirls Stephanie and Monique doing a really really amazing things within the world of fashion and just creativity fucking going crazy man Mm -hmm. look out for them they're doing a really really amazing things and that interview was a lot of fun yeah that shit was so much fun and the first time I've ever like really put on a production <laughs> for a, a filming session. So shout out to us, shout out to uh, Fly Girls Club as well. So let's get into the conversation for today. And what I want to start with first is Complex. And their 2019, well, I mean, you can't really call it a yearly list because we're only about you know six months into 2019. But oftentimes, and something that I want to bring up you know, in a bit is something about just lists in general. Mm -hmm. So complex releases their best brands of the year with the, um, asterisk so far, I mean, we're only six months in this shit, so things can change. But the thing about these lists that always like make me laugh and why they're so, they're so novel and I don't mean novel in like a positive way I just I mean it as like uh like again type of uh sentiment it's just one of those things where when you think of best brands of the year if you're not on social media if you're not on the internet if you're not within this community then I get it like a list is an easy ass way to summarize to to, for, for people to easily digest and like what's going on in the world mm-hmm. but if you are if you do know streetwear if you are into it then you already know what the best brands of the year are without even having to refer to a list but Because a lot of listeners, it's maybe your first time within this world of streetwear. We'll go through the list for you guys. Um, Let's start with number one. Actually, I'm just going to rummage through the first ones because these are like dead ass giveaways. (laughs) Um, Number one being Nike. Obviously, we don't have to speak about them. Uh, Supreme being number two. Again, another dead giveaway. Mm. Louis Vuitton being number three. I mean, I'm not even going to start with them. I feel like every episode revolves around them. Number four is Dior Men. That's kind of like a dead giveaway too, but it's still like, and I think the the larger conversation about this list and, and what you'll see is there's a lot more recurring, like higher fashion brands mm-hmm. that yeah. have like made their way or trickled into the world of streetwear where that line's starting to blur. You know what I mean? So when we read off some of these names, you'll start to see like, oh, that's like, why are those like, um, isn't that like a streetwear? Brand? Like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like this blurring now. So you'll start to see a little bit of a mixture of both. But the one that, that, you know, is the most alarming or not, I don't use alarming in a negative sense, but um, just like the most prominent is is this brand Needles. So it's solely like a Japanese, with the aesthetic of like streetwear, but Japanese fashion brand, famously known for their like, um, what do you call like,
1: They're track pants, right? They're track
0: pants and they're like multicolored sewn together flannels. Oh, patchwork? Yeah, they're patchwork flannels, which are really cool. But something that I've noticed about this brand Needles is that although they have been heralded as like one of those brands where it's like your favorite rappers are wearing them, Mm -hmm. it still like falls right in the middle of that brand. That's like not as easily accessible, but easily accessible, but also like not hyped up and not selling out the way that like Supreme Balenciaga are doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just kind of like, that's like a perfect area to be as like a really popping brand right now. Would you, you think say? so? I think so because you don't want to sell all your shit out because if I'm a first time consumer to your brand and, and you're known to like sell out and I don't have the Intel to buy your stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm That might be enough for me to divert to another brand. You know what I mean? Like, I may not want to put that effort in to buy your brand. Like, you really only have a certain threshold of time with a new consumer to be like, they saw my clothing on this artist, and maybe that's in the store, and that's enough for them to just buy it within an instant, without even having to think twice about it. But I think for them, it's like it's enough of that, and also not enough of that to like keep them. Semi-relevant. Yeah, you know? I
1: agree. Because, like, seeing them on the list, I kind of forgot about them. Yeah. Because they were more popping, like, in, what, 2016, 2017? You, you didn't think that they were on
0: this list. Yeah, I didn't think they were be on this list. I
1: wasn't expecting to see them. But um, I guess, like, in your sentiment, it could go both ways. Because they're not in the spotlight as much. So that might not be something that a new a newcomer would even want to look at you know they would kind of just bat their eye and be like oh like it's another Japanese brand but Mm -hmm. I want human made or I want girls don't cry
0: yeah exactly needles isn't top of mind when you think of like even if you if you were to make that category of like top Japanese fashion brands that are like pretty much killing it right now Mm -hmm. you don't see them doing large collaborations with you know the same way that girls don't cry is collaborating with every Major like Japanese stakeholder brand, um, mm-hmm. who in fact is killing it by the yeah. way. God shout damn, shout out to them, shout out to Verdi. Um, but yeah, like they're they're right in the middle. And what I think it is about, um, God needles, sorry, completely <laughs> blanked on that one. What I think it is about needles is that they're predominantly like military aesthetic, like a lot mm-hmm. of their things outside of the polyester track pants and outside of the the uh the patchwork flannels it's very like double taps influence okay so that's where a lot of the their creative direction and a lot of their um their apparel is sort of geared towards which is like that um what do, you, what do you, like fatigues and like uh like kind of yeah i mean if you do, if you know what do, double taps is you kind of <laughs> understand what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. and and the japanese culture is really fond of that like army surplus wear And there's something about that that hasn't yet become interesting to Americans. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Like, at one point, people were were wearing, like, stupid colored camo pants. (laughs) But that's not enough for people to be like, Needles is my everything brand. Mm -hmm. Do you have an everything brand? Like, you could buy, like, literally tops, bottoms, everything from.
1: Um... Uniqlo and Nike.
0: Uniqlo, and Nike. That's a dead. G- okay, give me like a fashion <laughs> brand that you you think that you could wear from head to toe. Stussy. Yeah, yeah. I think I I think that's a pretty good answer. I don't I don't think that I could do like a Needles. I don't I don't Mm-mm. think maybe um if I was if I was uh if I wanted a grown aesthetic I would probably choose Human Made. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I like the way that looks from top to bottom. I look like a like a 60s paperboy. <laughs> but I look really fly <laughs> and everything way, fits. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. What is the importance of having these lists in general? Like, I know we're about to go through this damn list <laughs> and we're about to read off some names that you guys probably already know of. But what is the fucking importance of redoing these lists on a year-to-year basis? Like, I know we don't really care too much about it. I mean... You sent me the article. My first impression was like, I already knew that. Mm -hmm. But then after reading, I was like, oh, well, why do they think this brand is important? But what the fuck is the importance of a list in general in this world of like instant news and like the need to know why list?
1: Um, It's just an easier way to just put together a whole bunch of information. It's a one stop shop Um, in terms of streetwear. Sometimes it's good just to kind of spread awareness. Like there's some brands in here that I've never heard of. So it's kind of cool to see like other publications put their two cents because we always put our two cents. So, you know, if people are listening to what we want to talk about, like we should read about what other people think as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. And one of the biggest pieces I think within these lists is that they provide that little snippet that you must know about each brand. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm reading this Needles thing right now and it literally says... Founded in 1988 by, I'm not even going to butcher his name, a familiar line for menswear insiders who follow Japanese brands. And I'm just like, that's all that I needed. Yeah, you know what I mean? The storytelling just, part. Just to be like, if I was in a conversation, they were like, oh, yo, yo, you know needles, right? And I'm just like, oh, yes, yeah, that, um, that Japanese brand that was like made in like the like early uh, early 90s, late 80s. And they're like, wow, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> where'd so you smart. get that from? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I've never read a book on needles, but damn, you must know something. But yeah, I think. For us, like context is important. Mm-hmm. These lists don't provide enough for us to understand the full sort of timeline of some of these brands. Um, but oftentimes, I don't need the list to tell me these things. Like it, sometimes, if you're looking on like the like the boutique shops, sometimes they tell that narrative within mm-hmm. you know Instagram posts, and sometimes that's all I need. Yeah, uh, just to just to know, but. I mean, just looking at the the rest of this list, I mean, let's go down. we got Balenciaga. Eh, That's a dead giveaway. What else do we have? Union. Union. Let's talk about Union real quick because they fall in line with like primarily streetwear, but with like a higher price tag. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's something about what they're doing. And obviously with the rise of the Air Jordan 1 that they did in the collaboration, um, that really took their name over the top. Uh, But there's something that they're doing that is really interesting, which is they're latching on to the new or not. I want to say latching on, but they are providing a platform for the new and upcoming brands, Mm -hmm. which is like really cool. Like they did. They were like one of the first to sort of take in like a like a Girls Don't Cry. They're like one of the first to take in that brand like Cherry, you know, and put them on the platform of like, hey, people already look at us as like selling like brands like fucking uh, VisVim and like Double Taps and like really high and expensive brands. And it's almost like giving them, giving smaller brands that nudge to be like, yo, like you guys belong up there with the big dogs too, you know?
1: It's nice. Like they're kind of giving back to the community. They're just sharing the wealth of their namesake, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's important, you know. Like they're huge, uh, like household names in both L.A. and I think they still have New York, right? Um, At one time, they're in New York. I believe they're still. I don't know if they're they're still still big
1: in L.A. for sure. I haven't
0: been to the store in New York ever, so I don't think they're there. But yeah, they're they're huge names in L.A. and are big proponents of the culture in L.A. So it's it's only right to really use the platform that they have as being like, you know, they've been around since the days where Union was only known for like. Their streetwear collaborations. Like I was looking at the other day of like, it was, and when they used to do like crazy mashups of like four or five different brands, like um, collaborating on one t-shirt, which is like mayhem. It'd be like Stussy, Huff, Undefeated, and Union all in one shirt. And it'd just be like a goddamn giant collage of logos. But that's what they were known for. They were known for the, the, the cut, not the cut. They weren't even at the cut. And sew yet they were just like, this is a streetwear brand. And this is, just a store that they sell shit out of. But mm-hmm. um, who else do we have? Union. Drives Van Noten, I know nothing about. Same. Um, they look like they're... Oh, they're Belgian. Belgian. All right, I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> Prada, yep, that's a... I mean,
1: that's a giveaway.
0: Them damn bags are all over the place. Mm-hmm. Fear of God, I like where Fear of God is at. Um, I was never a fan when it was in Sun When it first came <laughs> uh-huh. out, I fucking hated it. Um, nothing against Jerry Lorenzo. I think he's a, a really great designer he's almost like like the the op not i will not even say the opposite version but the more cutting-edge version of like a john elliott <laughs> <laughs> i mean the first time i ever saw like an elongated t-shirt was fucking from fear of god yeah um when uh, when i was first introduced to the aesthetic i was like this is trash <laughs> but obviously you've seen it now it's like it's a little bit more regular yeah um yeah <laughs> and then um. Obviously, with the with the rise of like all the shoes that they made, they're fucking uh all the Nike collaboration, which is still going on today. I don't understand the the aesthetic of those, but they look fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot do that.
1: It's very interesting how he decided to take <clears throat> the basketball aesthetic and make it fashion, or like more
0: basketball but make it fashion. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. Exactly. I guess, but compared to his last stuff that were kind of like military base it's pretty clean so yeah 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 yeah. definitely is.
0: well i mean we were talking about how like that is the next saga of sneakers it's like it went from and i'm trying to put this into a way that i remember saying but the next way like instead of dad shoes the next saga of sneakers is like basketball uh, silhouettes and forms mm-hmm. so like what you see like don c doing with uh like converse and nike and what you see obviously what um what jerry lorenzo is doing with his like shoes it's like mm-hmm. that is the next um sort of wave that's being dictated by those dudes and i think what they do sometimes is they probably all have a group chat and they're like yo let's all like be on the same page with like what we're going to (laughs) make and let's dictate what the world wears. I feel like it's like some like weird Illuminati or some shit. You know Some cult shit. Yeah. Some cult shit where they're all dictating what people wear within a single group chat. (laughs)
1: Hey, I I believe it. (laughs) It
0: could be. Yeah, it could possibly be. Yeah. Um, who else comes on this list? Okay. I'm going to read out this last one because the rest of them are all dead giveaways, but there's this brand called rude. Um, I think they're based out of los angeles mm-hmm. let me bring up this question real quick and why i've ne- first of all i've never heard of rude this is mm-hmm. the first time i've ever seen their clothing um it looks pretty you know generic to me <laughs> to be dead honest but there's this distinguishing between brands from la and brands from new york which like we're almost accustomed to sort of forming an opinion around mm-hmm. right you think of Like a brand like Girls Don't Cry. We'll use that as an example. That's based out of, I mean, he's primarily out of Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And we already attach our mindset to be like, oh, like that's so interesting. That's so new and so cutting edge. When in actuality, as much as I love Girls Don't Cry, it's not that cutting edge. It's just really, really refined and well done. But with Rude, being based out of Los Angeles where... One in three people have a streetwear brand. That's not a real statistic. I just made that <laughs> up. But I ide- I mean, realistically, it seems as if everybody and their moms have streetwear brands. Yeah. When you look at this brand, you say it's nothing special. Mm-hmm. But if it was based out of flyover state or some other country, you'd be like, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we form those like opinions already based around like where some of these brands are from?
1: Um, I think a lot of brands they tend to adopt like similar styles based on where they're from. So, coming from the Bay Area, you can kind of tell like oh like they're Bay Area based, yeah. or like oh like they're LA based. Like a lot of LA brands, like they tend to like gravitate towards like more like beach and like skater, and mm-hmm. also like just really random patterns put together. Yeah,
0: yeah. And yeah. New
1: York is like a little bit more like grungy, but still refined. So yeah. I just think like every Everyone has their own style, but it's also like where you came from and just what you're taking from your environment.
0: We highly regard brands that are based out of New York and uh, Japan or even mm. like just international for some reason. I wonder why that is, because obviously we we always advocate supporting local. If your homie is it has his own brand or whatever, support them. But for some reason, If I had a homie in Italy or a homie in Japan and he had a brand, I might support that even more. Yeah, There's something about, and I think it all plays back to sort of like that exclusivity and, you know, just the unknown of like, he might be printing on the same shirts as the dude in LA, but there's something about it being from Japan or being international, being Mm -hmm. exclusive that might like turn people on more. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: it's the whole consumer mindset, you know, we want things that are new and fresh to us. We just, we see the same shit all the time and we get tired of it. And it's nice to kind of see that breath of fresh air. Like for me, like human made is a breath of fresh air compared to like everything else I've been buying. So
0: huge. Yeah. Huge fresh air. Um, I want to get into this, uh, this sort of, I wouldn't call this a debate, but there's something I've been thinking about as of lately. So I was on Instagram the other day and I was, uh, it's Paris fashion week, by the Mm -hmm. way, for those that don't know which seems to be bigger than any other fashion week for some reason. I don't know why, but it's literally everyone is there even like like some like uh like the the owners of some of my favorite shops out here in San Francisco, they have to do like uh like buying, so they all go out to Paris Fashion Week and they all see the newest collections and everything like that. We saw this picture and it was of Virgil Abloh and Bobby Hundreds, right? And the first thing I thought of when I saw this picture was that one of them idolizes the other more than the other idolizes the <laughs> hold on, let me let me reword that. One of them is the stan and the other one is like the the celebrity. Yeah. And I tried I tried to, to think with the mindset of like, okay, it's 2019, right? Virgil is at the peak of his career, off white, going to insane fucking Louis Vuitton doing amazing numbers. But when I looked at that picture, I was like, I think Virgil Abloh wishes he was Bobby hundreds. (laughs) There was something about the dynamic there where it felt like Bobby hundreds was the, the ancient Kung Fu master, the, 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 the Mount Rushmore of our generation and Virgil not being, you know, that old, you mm-hmm. know. Um they were all around and sort of constructed their brands at the same time. But I think I think Virgil wants to be a Bobby Hundreds. Or you know, like the mm-hmm. stature yeah. of what Bobby Hundreds is, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: I can agree with that. Um just because Bobby Hundreds is he's OG. You yeah. know, he's he is the one everyone knows the hundreds everyone knows the atom bomb and how important that is in our culture and just the history of fashion essentially in my opinion at least yeah and I feel like if you think about it we were kids when the hundreds was around true so um in my opinion maybe like the younger generation Virgil is the Bobby hundreds quote-unquote like to this generation Mm. now and because we're older we can kind of see that influence but um, I can agree like I think that Virgil probably wants to be on that standard just because he didn't think he would have to be as influential or like affluential as he needs to be now you know and like Bobby is now kind of pushing like the whole culture and like bridging gaps between communities and Virgil, he didn't really want to do that, but he's in the spotlight, so he kind of has no choice.
0: That's yeah. That make I'm gonna bring up two points that you made. Is obviously um, <clears throat> that bridging the gap is is something that sort of is either innately you, and that's just what you naturally do, mm-hmm. or you work up to the responsibility of having to do that. And I feel like Bobby Hundreds, and if you've listened to any interview by him, th- within the first five minutes. He probably mentions like community at least 20,000 times. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the hundreds wasn't supposed to be what is now called a streetwear brand, right? It was literally just supposed to be merch that accompanied this storytelling of an entire community, an entire culture that was being, you know, uncovered mm-hmm. at the time. You know, LA, LA culture, LA streetwear, Fairfax in general was not even what it was today. I mean, I wouldn't even say it is it is what it is today, but maybe in like 2014 when Fairfax was like the biggest block, bigger than Paris and bigger than Japan, like the biggest area for, for streetwear. Mm-hmm. But they were around during a time where it was non-existent. And for Bobby to literally, if you go to his blog and you go all the way back, covering every monumental moment that's ever happened in streetwear in Los Angeles or in general, that is something that I don't think Virgil needed to do, obviously Mm -hmm. at the time. And it's not innately him to document what was going on in his life or around him. Because think about it. Virgil starts with, you know, Pyrex He comes from, you know, he went to college, Pyrex vision, uh, Ben Trill is his group. But, that it's just a brand. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It influenced people on Tumblr. I don't, did you ever buy any of that shit? No. It influenced people on like Tumblr, but it didn't, it didn't change people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was, I always think of it as like Bobby hundreds is No, no, I'm going to switch it first because I think this, this is a way more impactful way of saying it. But I think Virgil is cool, but Bobby hundreds is the culture. Yes. You know? Yeah. And Virgil wants to be the culture. Virgil thinks that jumping into DJing, you know, putting out books and and everything and starting to become more of like a well-spoken public person, I applaud him for doing that. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not what touches the culture or the community. It doesn't impact us the way that Bobby Hundreds has impacted us. Why do you think that is?
1: Um... I think, well, for us, because we're both Asian, I think Mm. him being an Asian American um, or Korean American is really important just because there's not a lot of people back then who who look like us. And that's like a really big thing that he talks about, but it's also really important just for this generation as well. Just having that, like having someone to look up to and be like, hey, if he could do it and he looks like me, I can do it too. But also like... Virgil can be that person for his like for that generation as well but yeah. I think just because the gap is so big like the people he's trying to touch right now and his like compared to his fan base it's not there like there's a gap between that Whereas like for Bobby Hundreds, his fan base and who he's trying to touch is the same community. Like everyone like who's like kind of rebellious and was kind of an outsider growing up. Where Virgil, like, he kinda started out very like high standard. Yeah. And now like you have like middle schoolers trying to buy off white and they can't afford it.
0: No, that's a good point. And I think it it's 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 that range, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you start off as like a, a Pyrex vision, um you know, a bin trill, a off-white early years, right? That shit's expensive. Mm-hmm. If, if not, the the resale of it is expensive as shit. So you don't feel like you're a part of him, mm-hmm. you know? I can't afford you, or not nah, I can't afford you, sorry. <laughs> I can't afford your clothes. I don't belong, Yeah. you know? So when, w- within the hundreds, okay, cool, that limited release sells out. I'm at the store, uh, there's a shirt I can buy. There's a hat I can buy. I can't afford a hat. There's a sticker I could buy. Mm-hmm. I don't even think Pyrex or or off white in the early years I don't even think stickers were even sold or produced. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the barrier of entry in the very you know, adolescent years of a lot of these two brands brought on different types of people for different reasons. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you believed in the hundreds, not only because one it was a part of our community it was in san francisco but two is because you know they spoke to essentially the same you never watch those movies that are like uh, high school coming of age movies mm-hmm. and you kind of like even though the situation that the, the the person of interest the main actors or actress is going through regardless of the bullshit that they're that's going through uh the the movie you still feel as if that's you, yeah. In some way, shape, or form, it's like, damn, that that kind of reminds me of my like my journey in in high school or college, even though it's nowhere close to it. But mm-hmm. you like pick things out of it. Mm-hmm. You have to like, well, maybe it's just us because of where we're from and like the streetwear community that was born around us. But we don't have. I, I we feel like we have to try to get into the world of off-white yeah. Louis Vuitton. With with the hundred, it's like. I could just step in and, and feel like feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but to be honest, like a lot of the hundred stores were like awkward as shit. My first time <laughs> going in there, any streetwear store yeah. you go into for the first time, it's awkward as shit. Um, but I think just in general, you know, that barrier of entry for, for both brands was obviously easier for one more accepting for one, um, more appreciative of new people for one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, off-white in that world was was definitely for a very particular few not to say that exclusivity in their case is like negative Mm -hmm. but i think in regards to impacting the culture and impacting the community one of them obviously did like or still continues to do that you know what i mean
1: I have like a super random like I guess question for you. Um, I was on Instagram the other day and I don't know who it was. Maybe it was like hypebeast or something. There's an interview with Virgil like regarding his MCA collab recently. Oh
0: yeah, the one in Chicago, right? Yeah.
1: Have you seen like the all the all blue Air Force? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess someone asked him like about either resale or just like about the shoe, and he said like if I were these kids, I would go to my neighborhood like full Locker get a Air Force, paint it blue, and get a zip tie from Home Depot. I remember that, How yeah. How do you feel about him saying that? I think that's awesome. You think so?
0: Because that's where he comes from. You know what I yeah. mean? His inspirations of brands, and probably the hundreds was one of his inspirations, it was to like, let's recreate the shit that they're doing in our own way. Mm-hmm. Eventually that leads into like an actual brand. But what they were doing was literally taking... whatever champion shorts they could find from the sports goods store and screen printing their own logos on it. Like, it's literally as DIY as it gets, Mm -hmm. especially starting out. So I really like what he's talking about because not only does it sort of push the next level of, like, creativity and the next wave of of creatives to be like, you know, like, I don't know what you guys are, like, getting all riled up for. Like, (laughs) go make this shit yourself, you know? Like, I think that's a good... I think that's a good response. I don't know. What do you think?
1: It was just interesting to hear. Um, it kind of makes me think about resale prices just like in that in that situation, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like in regards to that, like how can the designer say, oh, like if you can't afford my stuff, go rip it off? Which is it's funny because he True. used to do that too. Yeah. Or he still does it. So is he justifying like coffee cats?
0: Okay, I don't think he literally <laughs> means like, hey, giant... Chinese factories, go make bootlegs of this shoe. I know. But I think it's more so just like, yo, little kid, I know you can't afford this shoe or I know you probably don't got bots or a proxy because you don't have enough money. Go make something better or go be inspired by this shoe and make something dope. And you know, being in his position as literally the most coveted person in streetwear and fashion now, to be able to say that is like, you know, it's one of those like looking up to your your uh, your role model moments where it's mm-hmm. like, damn, like that could be written in my senior quote type <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. Uh, it literally, like in my senior quote, be like, fuck that shit. Go make it yourself. Like, <laughs> like that's so inspirational. You can't yeah. you can't really knock that down. But, but I want to talk inspiration, but in the form of like, I think this shit is like. 200 pages but Bobby hundreds obviously we're gonna stick on the topic of Bobby Mm -hmm. has a book coming out called this is not a t-shirt if you ever looked at the cover it's like a um, like a almost like an exact replica of a JD Salinger cover if you guys read books (laughs) Um, I don't but I just read that just now it's really interesting literally a complete ripoff of the thing but I think that that's the point it uh it embodies whatever that that author is supposed to be conveying within this cover Um, oh what it is, is that the cover is like that because of the whole... You know, that, ever hear that quote where it's like, don't judge a book by its cover? Mm-hmm. So when you have something with minimal design on it, um, it's essentially just supposed to be about the contents of the book and not this entire uh, design aspect of the cover. So I think that's kind of interesting, but mm-hmm. that's like book nerd talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know much about it. But essentially, in... The debate here in my head with Bobby Hunter's releasing a book, not only is it amazing, you know, but not too many people in our industry focus on documenting. And I don't mean documenting as like, oh, here's a selfie of me at this fashion show. Like, let's, you know, let's go crazy. But I think there's an importance within documenting like individual narratives in streetwear. Right? (laughs) You look okay, think back to like history class right, in elementary school, middle school, high school, right, you ever read, like, um, say you read through an entire history book, right, and you go to the back and it's like 5,000 different references of people and Mm -hmm. science halls and archeological music, like everybody, right, there's so many different people contributing to what is history, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think people do that within the world of streetwear, like, you have a couple of people, um, Obviously, Bobby Hundreds is a new one now. Um, somebody, uh, his name is, um, fuck, I don't want to ruin his name, but his name is Michael, Michael uh, Le, I want to say Lemieux or something like that. He puts out a book every season, every year called All Gone, and that's like a documentation of this year in streetwear, which is mm-hmm. like a really, really um, cool collector's item as well. So if you've never read one of those books, uh, go out and read them. Magazines do that in a sense, but it's very like topical in the mm-hmm. moment. But there's no real narrative from a particular person in the world of streetwear. Do you know of any, like, I don't know of any books No. off top, to be honest.
1: Maybe like Shoe Dog, but that's really it.
0: Yeah, like, it's like, it's, um, it's a parallel within the history of where streetwear is, but nobody's ever particularly covered streetwear. Didn't Virgil put out a book recently? I,
1: I think, don't think it's like as in-depth as how Bobby is. Yeah,
0: not like a tell-all? Yeah, no. So, I think I think within this book and, and sort of the way that uh, it's sort of organized, it's uh, essentially described as like a memoir. Um, in the same way that he does his blogs, it's a snapshot of what LA looks like in terms of streetwear culture of the 2000s, which is when they originated. But I think it's really funny when you um, when you look at people like Bobby Hundreds, the Jeff Staple. Um, the Virgil, who are so prominent people that are always speaking, Uh, the Jerry Lorenzo, the uh, Samuel, um, uh, Heron Preston, he's always on Mm -hmm. um, like panels and stuff. What's really funny about all these people, and we went to a panel with Bobby Hundreds, they hate talking about streetwear. Yeah. Have you realized that? They do. (laughs) What is it about these people, at least now, compared to before maybe about 5 6 years ago they just hate talking about streetwear they hate talking about the term streetwear defining streetwear mm-hmm. why do they why do they despise it so much
1: well if you think about it back then streetwear wasn't really a term you would really coin like that it was kind of just there you were living in streetwear if you if you were to say so i think like back then it was different because it it was a culture, but it was more of a subculture. It wasn't at, like on the rise as it is now. Mm-hmm. So I think right now, like how we use it every day, the term streetwear is very watered down and probably they're just tired of explaining like what it is on a surface level and they want to get to like the nitty gritty of who they are and why it's important and why you should listen to them and like follow their brand basically.
0: Yeah, and the general trajectory of conversations nowadays when you talk to anybody, it's like, um, how are we being sustainable? How are we being politically correct? How are we being righteous by ourselves? And, and in terms of our spirituality and making sure our chakras are cool, or whatever shit. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. I think if you're like a basketball player, right? Like um, today's well, today's Friday, but whatever. But um, the draft just happened, right? If you're mm-hmm. like a uh, like a, an elite player coming out of college, like a Zion Williamson, and you're being asked every day, every day, like. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? How are you going to change the NBA? Mm -hmm. You're asked that every day. Eventually, I just want to play basketball. I don't care about the league. I just want to play basketball. And I think that's kind of what a lot of these brand owners and a lot of these, I don't know why this term movers and shakers just came (laughs) to my head, but (laughs) Uh that's essentially what they are. The Jeff Staple, the people that are always talking about streetwear, they don't talk about streetwear. You know, they talk about the things that matter, the themes within streetwear that are important to them. Bobby Hundreds talks about community. Mm-hmm. Virgil Abloh talks about the art of what he does. Jeff Staple talks about the business. Like mm-hmm. these are important things that correlate to life outside of streetwear. Yeah. Because imagine being asked that question all day and every day. You know I what hate I mean? It.
1: I do get asked that. How do I hate you it.
0: define streetwear? Or you know, what is streetwear to you? How has streetwear changed? Like I get, we're introspective in the way that we approach the question, but the way that a lot of um, media outlets and just people in general ask them on like a recurring basis, they're just like, Virgil, um, how would you define the term streetwear, you know, now compared to, it's like, no, they're tired of it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, let's talk about my art. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about the mindset that went into creating um, this art piece. And I think, yeah, I think overall they're just bored of the term streetwear. Yeah, not the act of creating it, obviously, but just I think they're just
1: defining it.
0: Tired of defining it. Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: we kind of hate it too.
0: Yeah, to be honest, like I'm tired of I'm tired of including the word streetwear in my titles on mm-hmm. episodes. Um, but you know, it's called a uh, SEO search engine optimization, <laughs> and uh, we try to get these numbers up. So yeah, um, but I think the, the uh, another question I want to ask. Um, and I'm sort of speaking out loud here is, you know, Bobby Hundreds wants to put out his documentary, right? What Do you remember what it was called? No. The documentary on streetwear, right? Yeah. Probably the first person to ever do something like that. Um, he puts out a book. You know, maybe like a handful or so people actually have a a tell all type streetwear book. What do you think is the hesitation amongst people who have like, an amazing wealth of knowledge. Why do they feel like, like it's almost like hopscotch or like double Dutch, sorry, double Dutch where it's like they're hesitant on taking the leap into telling their story or telling their history or their narrative. I'm, I'm curious to why, you know, like a Jeff Staple, He's amazing. Benny gold is amazing. They have so much history in this, in this industry, but I'm I'm just curious to why they don't feel the need to, or why they don't want to in general mm-hmm. tell that story you know
1: it's probably hard to compile everything cause that's was, true like, also yeah wasn't bobby hesitant on doing it like to begin with
0: yeah but all people in streetwear and culture are lazy at heart <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can understand that but yeah i mean yeah it it, it does take a bit of effort you know yeah it's your whole life that you're trying to put on yeah, paper and
1: you're being vulnerable in front of an audience like Um, When we saw Bobby, he was kind of speaking on like he just lays it all out there. I mean he does in interviews as well but I'm pretty sure the book will be even more in depth like based on like his upbringing and how it even began with the hundreds and I think more of like his background on being a lawyer that no one really talks yeah, about. Right. So it's just it's a lot it's a lot like I hate talking about myself let this alone writing about it so just imagine them like they're this person we put on a pedestal mm. and you kind of have to put everything out there And it's a make it or break it point for you.
0: It's a sense of responsibility that I don't think they want. Yeah. But eventually, creatively, the way that they treat their T-shirts, their brand, it comes naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind
1: of how Bobby was. Like, I don't think he wanted to be in this position, but just because of how the climate is now in the street where he felt the need to put it out there, which I applaud him for because no one else is doing it. It's a good time, too. Like, I don't see
0: why not. You know, like, it's the hottest button topic in the world, I would assume right now, other than like the presidency, but it is what everyone is talking about. So not only is it perfect timing, but it, it was also like really, really needed. Yeah. So, I mean, I know he has this little book tour going on, which is like really, really interesting. Like, that's kind of cool. Instead of like a pop-up shop, it's like a book tour. Yeah. Um, San Francisco is being led by Benny Gold, which is like the coolest little duo you could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, I think the one he had in... um. Wasn't LA? Where was his first one? DC, New York, something like one that. Of those. Was hosted by Wale, the rapper. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's getting he, it's. It's going to be a really good conversation. I'm really excited about it, and I'm kind of looking forward to reading the book. Yeah,
1: come through next Thursday. We'll be there. At Green Apple Books. Green, Green is, Apple Books, San this Francisco. This is not like a plug, but whatever. Come meet us. I if mean, you we're want. not
0: buying the books for you. You got to purchase that yeah, yourself. We're buying but it for ourselves. It'd be really cool to like. It's essentially bringing out the community and like creating the conversation, which I, I think, I mean, I'm we're not opposed to that because obviously yeah, we, we do love that on a shit. weekly basis anyway. Um, I want to ask you, or I want to ask you this though. So, do you know who Ian Connor is? Mm-hmm. What do you know him for?
1: He writes music. Right. No, he no. doesn't write not music.
0: All right, for, for those that don't know, <laughs> alongside Melanie, <laughs> Ian Connor is famously known for being a creative director and stylist for the likes of literally every one of your favorite rappers and artists that don't know how to dress <laughs> themselves. Um, formerly connected to, or I think still connected to, like the ASAP Mob, ASAP Rocky, and all of them. Um, you see him, like, side-by-side side with, like, Playboy Cardi on, like, a day-to-day <laughs> basis. Um, but this really good interview was released, and I'm going to play the snippet of audio.
1: I don't understand why vintage is better than current shit. Mm-hmm. don't understand why, like, I still why go thrift shopping. art pieces. Art pieces. Yeah. Legit, like, mm-hmm. our clothes
0: could be in the museum. Not mm-hmm. based right off it's attached to us. It's, yeah. like, legit. We have yeah. museum pieces. Bro. Yeah. What's up with that vintage? I ain't buying no... Yeah. Bro, what are y'all niggas always talking about? Son? What's up? That you shit, y'all use like used. you don't even. <laughs> yo, bro. <laughs> 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 Sir, excuse me. Nigga, we we are literally wearing yeah art pieces, pieces bro. This shit should be framed. <clears throat> yeah, like legit. You can frame right. my clothes with or without me attached to it. We just added value because I wore it. Yeah, you feel me? But besides, like the way that they describe and that was ASAP Rocky and um and Ian Connor having a conversation led by um a, another name that I don't know why or how he got famous, but Kerwin Frost. Um, they are talking about this idea between pieces and clothing. Now, for those that do call what you wear pieces, pieces are literally, you could define that as in the same way that you would look at something like an art piece. It's special. It's one of one. It's just um, to, to most people that have pieces. It's irreplaceable almost as if it's like if you put a worth on it it's priceless <laughs> um, I don't know too many people that have clothing that would they would consider priceless but um, it's looking at clothing in the same way that you look at art and looking at it as you know crafted and, and special and not just as what most consumers look at their clothing as like clothes mm-hmm. and so that sort of divides the line between most people looking at it as clothing which is um, often replaceable, purchased in bulk, <laughs> uh, resold to like to everyone um, and really with no care in mind on, you know, what it is, how it treats me, <laughs> how my clothing <laughs> okay. treats me, how it fits on me oftentimes. But how would you describe like the difference between like how, or compared to how they described it as pieces versus clothing? How would you describe it as like pieces versus clothing? Cause it's um, like a debate.
1: Pieces have more sentimental value to the owner of That's them. That's
0: a good point. An emotional aspect.
1: Yeah. Like, obviously, you're buying a piece because it either means something to you or you're interested in who made it or mm. just like the, I guess, the origin of the it. The artist
0: matters. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, the artists
1: does matter. Um, just like art, you know, you're buying a piece because you you admire it. And you just, you want it so bad that you need to have in your collection. A lot of pieces, they're usually just in someone's closet or just, like, they're not being worn daily or just ever. Um, It's like a grail, you know? It's just something that you've always wanted, but you know, like, if you get it, you're not going to wear it. But you're going to look at it, like, sometimes you know, maybe once or twice a month, you Yeah, know? It's uh, like
0: opposite of Marie Kondo, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, exactly. no, I'm going to keep it. It has sentimental value for me, even though I don't wear it. Yeah. But it, it, there's a sense of importance. And mm-hmm. that importance can, you know, that can range from a h- tons of different reasons of why you keep this article of clothing. But the way that they describe it is kind of like a piece, whether it be vintage or, you know, 20 years old or, or new, it's just it makes your outfit rather than you you're wearing something. And and it's kind of like a weird conversation to have to like almost idolize our clothes in that way. Mm -hmm. But to think of like, and and I'm going to use an example of like an article of clothing or a piece that I had. um, And the reason why it's so important is I think it was the year 2012 Supreme fall, winter Kate Moss photo t-shirt from Supreme. I purchased that, and that's still one of the items that I have to this day that I haven't sold or ever thought twice about selling, because for me, being a growing up and like sort of learning about Supreme, you know, very very quickly, was that first of all, photo tees are the most highly well, ex- after box logos the most highly coveted items in existence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Kate Moss being like the original pinup girl for Supreme like it was just a culmination of this being like I love Supreme as a kid and I still love Supreme to this day and this is one of those pieces that defines that for me and I don't wear it I don't it's it's not like framed or anything but it could be Mm -hmm. some people do frame them yeah but there's some that sentimental value that you speak of is like it speaks louder than any amount of money that I would be willing to sell for it and I think it just makes me feel good. Like outside of like what I could be making of it, mm-hmm. it just makes me feel good. Like, do you have any of that attack Like who, what article of clothing do you have that type of attachment to? Cause you're a reseller.
1: Thanks. But that, that I
0: don't mean that, I mean, that's the truth and it's not like a negative term, Yeah, making money, uh. but what article of clothing or what piece have you ever, like do you still own that you still like look at and you're just like, damn, like this is nice.
1: To be honest, I don't really have one right now. Um, I don't think I ever did. I look more to shoes as like things I want to hold on to compared to clothes. We can
0: call them. We can call shoes a part of it too. Then, if you okay, want,
1: I guess. I don't know.
0: So, like, what shoe? Like, what shoes do you like? Look at and you. are Like, there's no way I'm getting um,
1: rid of this. I don't know. It there's- has to
0: be some sort of Jordans or something. Knowing you.
1: Yeah, of course, but I can't think, like, on the spot.
0: Uh, You don't know what (laughs) shoes you have? Do you just have too many?
1: I don't know. I guess, well, I guess in recent Years, uh, My very first Flyknit racer I ever like bought, I would never sell it or get rid of it. I don't wear them anymore just because I can't get them. It's the lucid green sport blue one, mm. um, like, like tropical color one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I used to wear them a lot going to work, but now um, since I can't really get them, I don't wear them at all. But sometimes, yeah, I'll look in the box and be like, I remember when I purchased yeah, this. Yeah, and know? there's
0: like a whole story sometimes, especially for your shoes. It's the camping out. It's the the conversations you have with your friends while you were waiting for the shoe, the probably the hangover that you had the next day after waiting <laughs> in line. Like that type of shit resonates with why articles of clothing turn into pieces, right? Yeah. For us, it's that memory of of chasing after this item. It's the it's the money that we didn't have that we had to spend to get this item. And the fact that we're not doing it to resell, that we're not doing it to to barter with someone else or for, for some other thing makes it matter. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the idea of a piece comes from because in the same way that we look at art, there's a story, there's um, uh, a one of one quality to it that is unlike anything else. And they make a good point in the thing. It's like, you know, I can spend $250 or uh, $2,000 in a Barney's and uh, um, in like a Nordstrom's or sax fifth avenue and get that newest balenciaga or um fucking louis vuitton Mm -hmm. thing that 20 other people have Mm -hmm. and i could just be just like them but there's something about and and obviously it's a case-by-case basis on what type of person you are there is a a benefit or at least um a motive behind getting that one-of-one piece uh getting that piece that nobody else is wearing getting it for a steal sometimes there's an importance in in how that reflects onto us because everyone wants to be different. And I mean saying different is like weird, but everyone wants to set themselves apart from the rest. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm an advocate for being yourself, Mm -hmm. obviously like that's important, (laughs) but dressing different. I don't see anything wrong with that at all.
1: Like your style is your extension of your personality. So the way you dress kind of shows who you are as a person um like we all have our different style like not like none of us like us three we all do not look the same or dress the same at all we may like the same shit of course but how we like style it and wear it it's totally different compared to each other
0: yeah exactly i would say like i've i think growing up in in middle school it was like peak street or like not even peak streetwear, but on the rise of becoming peak streetwear. so everyone was wearing like the hundreds diamond supply and Stussy, mm-hmm. but. There was like this really cool thing that I saw in my. Uh, I used to sneak into my older brother's room a lot because he would have like, um, like well not, they weren't adult magazines, but they were just like magazines that were like for teens. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was I was a middle schooler, so uh-huh. I, I didn't I didn't know nothing about. It. I was still playing with like Pokemon cards and Yu Gi Oh shit, but going in there and seeing like punk rock magazines and seeing like really outlandish stuff, like people with colored hair and like wearing mismatched... Shoelaces and, and all this shit, I'm just like, damn, like that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's unlike anywhere and anybody at school that was dressing like that. So I was like, Man, maybe if I take some of that and attach it to like what I wear, it would be like, you know, I used to have this fat or this this thing that I would always follow where I'd be like, Okay, if I'm wearing a red t shirt, I'm always wearing green shoes. If I'm wearing <laughs> green shoes, I'm always wearing a red t shirt. And that wasn't even on some like I love Christmas type shit, (laughs) but it was literally just like that aesthetically looked cool to me. Yeah. And there's something about that, that, um, that sort of defined the way that I dressed and like being different. And that was only because my, um, my sense of like what I liked, my taste was like different, not Mm -hmm. to say anybody else was worse, but there's something about not only valuing looking different or dressing different or even acting different, if we want to go that far, but somehow in some way it all comes down to the clothing that we wear and sort of starting that, you know, initiating mm-hmm. that. Because you, I mean, even you said it; it's a, an extension of our personality, and so sometimes you have to flip flop it and start from the clothes and work backwards. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you ever, you ever um, come to that like sort of mindset? That it's like if I wear this thing that I don't often wear. I feel like people will judge me differently from yeah. who I normally am.
1: Yeah, that happened yesterday because I decided to wear heels. I'm like, oh, I don't want to wear sneakers to work. So I wore heels and like a decent shirt. And I've only been in my job for like, what, three weeks? Yeah. And they were just like, oh my gosh, like Mel's wearing heels, like this is so weird. I hate
0: that. You know, It's not that I'm wearing heels, but I know what you're saying, yeah. like, I hate that.
1: It's like, I I can't do this, you know? So I kind of felt out of place when they called it out. Yeah um but I'm still me of course you know?
0: yeah, yeah yeah you're just dressing for the occasion you know yeah. like versatility is is easy amongst most people but for some reason I am not versatile in the way that I dress <laughs> I'm like I think being very early on and growing up skating I think I've always just like all wear the same thing three days in a row like same same like aesthetic of just like a baggy t-shirt and a baggy shoe baggy pants and the same shoes for forever because Mm -hmm. when I was skating that's all that I wanted to wear because anything else if I wore nice shit I'm just gonna mess it up Mm -hmm. so that kind of translates into the way I dress now so when I have to like go to a business meeting or a a conference and I'm wearing a button up with a tie I feel like the like the most constrained version (laughs) of myself yeah and it's fucking annoying but I think for anybody that can do that fuck, I, I can't, but applause to you guys. <laughs> but I think, um, like you said, he made like a really good point. It is an extension of who we are in terms of how we dress. But that's not to say you can't try something different. Yeah, you know, like, of course. I think we've all sort of taken... Um, fashion risks at some point (laughs) of our lives just to like try something different. Shit, I'm thinking about getting like a nose ring. I think that looks cool. I didn't think it was cool back in the day, but Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of cool now. Yeah. Uh, So I guess what we're trying to say is just being adventurous in how you dress and looking at things from a different perspective, whether you think of your clothes as pieces or you think of your clothes as clothes? Yeah. Um, most resellers look at their clothes as commodities. <laughs> but I think just in general, just changing your mindset and, and your perspective on how you approach clothing, I think that's. If we had like a um, ultimatum, not an ultimatum. Uh, what's an alma mater? What? <laughs> if you had like a your mission statement, your north star. What do you call that? The the the, the, the way that colleges use it. Um, Your mantra, if we had a mantra, I I, I guess, it would be to sort of like think of, look at clothes differently than um, how most people do because in, I mean, at the end of the day, they do impact the way that we act, the way that we essentially are. So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's the sort of cherry on top of that (laughs) conversation. I don't know how we got all the way to that from a book. (laughs) Oh no, not a book, but an interview. Yeah. Um, but thank you, uh, Ian Connor and ASAP Rocky for getting us to this, (laughs) this amazing point of the episode. But I think that's a a great way to end it. Mm -hmm. And as we end every episode before we do our little sign off, what, any last words for the people?
1: Um, I would just say, don't be afraid to take risks and yeah. always support your homies.
0: Always support your homies. Always, that's a, that's always, always. What do I have, man? What do I have? I think for, for my sort of last words, I think there's always this like, uh, we kind of s- slowly touched on this at the very beginning of the episode, is that creative exhaustion is real. Yeah, <laughs> it is. For those of you that think that you have to progressively work longer hours or- you know, take on more projects or think that you're not doing enough, you're doing more than enough. And I'm starting to learn that on my own right now. And then managing so many different projects. And obviously with the help of Melanie, being able to control the madness in my <laughs> head that's going on right now. But for a lot of you that I know you're, you have your brand, you want to put out a new collection, you want to put out a lookbook, you want to put out a preview. Oh shit. I got to deal with the distributor. I got to deal with all Take it step by step, I know it's a lot, and it seems like a lot, and things aren't just gonna you know crash in a night, you know what I mean, so my advice or at least my final words before we end this podcast is man, take a fucking break. Yeah. <laughs> everyone needs a fucking break man and and it, and it's a good thing, so um on that note, thank you guys, thank you guys so much for listening to episode ninety. Holy shit, I think this is episode 90. Wait, hold on. I have to check because I don't want to fuck this up because it was such a good episode. I don't want to have to record it. I believe it was episode uh, 90. I think it's loading, it's loading, it's loading. (laughs) Episode 90.
1: Woo, we made it. episode
0: 90. 10
1: more to 100. Episode 100 will
0: be a very special one. Um, I'm already counting on it. Um, I don't know if we're going to do any live versions of this anytime soon, but if you guys want to see that and you guys want to shit we can have like a five person crowd whatever we'll we'll do it whatever it takes um but yeah we appreciate you guys listening on a uh, a weekly basis and shit if you listen to us on a daily basis that's really awesome too
1: (laughs) shout out to y'all shout
0: out to y'all man we appreciate you guys and thanks for listening to this week's episode we will catch you next week peace
1: bye